Uh, my wife and I have a, a dog. His name is Winston. Winston's six and a half years old. He's a boxer. Uh, greatest dog in the world. About six weeks ago, uh, we discovered uh, that Winston was losing his vision. He started running into things. And uh, so I took him to the vet, got him checked out, and they said, you know, there's nothing wrong with his eyes. Uh, so I took him to a neurologist. And get this, in the course of one week, went to the vet, went to the dog ophthalmologist, and went to the dog neurologist. I had no idea. You know, back when I was growing up, we took our dog to the vet, and he either fixed him or gave him a shot. And uh, now there's all sorts of things you can do, all sorts of options. And they told me that I could, uh, more than likely, the neurologist said he has a brain tumor. You can pay me $3,000, and I'll tell you whether that's actually it or not. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, this is a secret. I have to pay to get the answer. He says, no, you, you know, be an MRI, we could determine. And, th and I said, well, now, would that fix it? No, that just tells me that it's there. And then for $3,000 more, we can try to fix it. So Winston is uh, still blind, uh, and I still have my... Well, actually, I don't have $6,000. If I had $6,000, maybe we would have we considered the procedure. Um, but anyway, last weekend, my wife and I are going to Birmingham, and we're driving over to see my, my daughter, who's a student at, at Sanford. And Winston's with us because since we found out that he's blind, suddenly my wife can't go anywhere without Winston. So he's in the car with us. We're going to Birmingham. We stop at Cracker Barrel. My wife wants to run in and get a birthday card for her mom. So she goes inside, and I'm sitting outside with Winston out there, you know, in the rocking chairs where all, where all the other old men sit. And I, I'm out there, and I have Winston on a leash, and it's a bright, sunny day. I've got my sunglasses on. I'm just minding my own business. And, and these two men come up, and they sit down beside me, and they start to talk to me. And they ask, you know, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? He says, well, how long have you had your dog? And I'm Six and a half years. Is he a good dog? He's a great dog. Does he take good care of you? And I said, he takes great care of me. And then one of the men says, can you see at all? <laughs> you know, when you're talking to a blind person, you always talk real loud. And I said, excuse me? And he said, are you completely blind or can you see a little bit? And I said, I can see fine. He can't see a thing. <laughs> and he kind of looked puzzled for a minute, and I said, that's right. I am a seeing-eye person. <laughs> you know, sometimes, just at first glance, you don't see everything. You, don't, you know, if you judge things by what you see right off the bat, you may miss some of the most important things. And, and, you know, the truth is, everything's not obvious. Sometimes you have to dig down a little bit, go a little deeper to, to figure some things out. I, I met your pastor when he was 12 years old. And he was a part of a group of people, a group of boys, who I, I still say to this day, one of the most incredible groups of young men that I've ever been around. Uh, Brad Willoughby and I discipled that group for several years. There were about 13 or 14 of them, and they were outstanding. 
Now, I'm going to, I want to say to you that at that time, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, all the way up through the, their junior year in high school, I would not have said that David Eldridge was the most outstanding in that bunch. I just didn't, didn't really notice David that much when he was 12, 13, 14 years old. He was quiet. There were other guys in the group who were a lot more charismatic, a lot louder, and, you know, attracted attention to themselves in different ways. There were some that I would have said at that point, you know, this person is so gifted, they're going to have an incredible impact on the world. Uh, David would have been maybe far down the list, in my opinion, at that time. It wasn't until David got to college that I started to see uh, the things that God had put in him and started to recognize the, the incredible potential that he had uh, for the kingdom of God. So much so that, uh, you know, the Bible says a man has plans, but God orders your steps. And, and I had a plan. When I was at the University of Georgia, my plan was to stay 15 years and then have David take over uh, the Wesley Foundation. Uh, I actually wound up staying there eight years and then coming back here to help start uh, Riverstone or, or Wesleyan Fellowship at the time. Uh, but God, fortunately, uh, God had in his plan to bring David back here uh, to be a part of that and uh, to ultimately plant this church. I want you guys, and, I, and I'm sure that you, most of you at least, already know this, but in case you don't, you need to understand uh, that what you have is rare in your pastor. He's one of the best. Love him. Appreciate him. Uh, when David graduated from college, he came to my house. He was getting ready to go off to seminary. Uh, the week before he left, he handed me a letter. He left, got in his car and left. I opened up the letter and I read it. And, and it was just a letter that just said, you know, thank you for this and thank you for that. And da, 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 da. I, I had actually, you know, I'd been in his life since he was 12 years old. And now he's, you know, 22 and heading off to, to seminary. And uh, the last paragraph of the letter said, I pray that my ministry will far exceed yours. So that you will know that the time you invested in me was not wasted. And I looked at my wife and I said, he gets it. He gets it. He understands that the kingdom of God is supposed to expand, not shrink. That each generation is supposed to do more and be better and increase. You know, if you've spent your life looking at your dad and saying, if I could just be half the man my dad is, you have missed it. Because... You are supposed to be twice the man that your dad is. That's God's design and desire for you. Don't go for less. Go for more. If I'm half the man my dad was, and my son is half the man that I am, and his son is half the man that he is, pretty soon we don't have a man left. So go for more. I'm excited about what God's doing here every time I come. It's changed. It's increased. There are new faces. Uh, the one thing I, I want to say to you this morning about that is, is that uh, God wants to fashion you together as a net that he can use to sweep in fish from all over this community. But just because you have a group of people 
doesn't mean you have a net. Just because you have a group of churches doesn't mean you have a network. If you look it up in the dictionary, you, you find that a net is fabric that crosses, and, and where it crosses each other, it's twisted and knotted together. And that's, that what, that's what makes it a net. And, and we as, as people, if we want to be everything that God has called us to be, if we want to serve the purpose and the function that God has designed for us in this community, we have to be willing to have our lives knotted and twisted together with other people, with other believers. And, and that's what God is doing here. He's, he's put you here with a body of people so that he can connect you to each other because we are better together than we are alone. Jesus talked a lot about fishing. I, I don't know, you, you probably know this, there are, there are people who fish, and then there are fishermen. Uh, fishermen are the ones who actually catch fish. You know, some just go fishing, and others go catching. Uh, I've been, most of my life, one of those that just goes fishing. Uh, I don't necessarily catch fish when I go. In fact, I had a friend named Tim Barrett who uh, was maybe the best fisherman I've ever been around. And, and when he was at the University of Georgia, we would go fishing together. And he had actually helped me to order uh, a rod and reel from Bass Pro Outlet. And so I had the same rod and reel he had, identical rod and reel, identical line on that rod. Uh, we were using identical lures. We're fishing in the same lake at the same time. And he's catching fish just left and right, hand over fist, and I'm catching nothing. And I looked at him at one point and I said, is there something that you're doing that I'm not doing? And he said, yes, I'm catching fish. <laughs> There's a difference between just fishing and actually catching. Sometimes it's a surprise. You know, for me, when I go fishing, it's, it's a surprise if I catch a fish. But now, you know, a surprise catch is okay. I mean, you, you, you know if you've been fishing at all that sometimes, you know, a, a surprise catch can be pretty exciting. Uh, my daughter uh, likes to fish. She, when, when she was small, I used to take Mason, my son, fishing a lot. And Grayson decided, you know, Daddy, I, I want to go fishing. I can catch fish as good as Mason. You should take me fishing. And so when she was about four years old, I decided I would take Grayson fishing. And we went to Walmart. We bought her a Donald Duck fishing pole. And we went down to this lake that a friend of mine had. And uh, on the way to the lake, I asked Grace Ann, I said, baby, how long do you want to fish? And she said, until we catch something or until I, you know, until she catches something. And I thought to myself, I, I'm going to get to fish all day because she's not going to catch anything. Not on little Donald Duck here, you know. I mean, she's never been fishing before. I bought this cheap little $10 rod and reel. We get to the lake. I put a cricket on her hook and I throw it out in the lake and I hand her Donald Duck and I turn to get my rod and reel and I hear this zzzz. I turn around and poor Donald is about to be pulled into the lake and my daughter is screaming daddy daddy and so I go over and I help her and we, we reel it in eventually we get it to the bank and, and sure enough first cast she catches a bass about two pounds on little Donald Duck and uh, I said wow baby how about that? And she says, okay, I'm ready to go home. 
you know, it was a surprise catch for her, and it was a surprise end of the day for me. Surprise catch, it can be a really good thing. My, my son, Mason, he's back there on the back row. And, uh, I'm sure he won't mind me telling this. Um, a couple of years ago, he, he's a student at Auburn. A couple of years ago, he went with some friends over to a, a state park, and they were swimming in the lake. And he looked over, and he saw a bass swimming over near the bank, and he told his friends. He said, I'm, I'm going to catch that fish. And his friends were like, you can't catch a fish with your bare hands. He said, I'm going to catch it. And so he starts stalking the fish, you know, making his way over there. And, and as he gets close to it, it starts to swim away. And so he dives into the water. And he comes up out of the water with the fish. Ten-pound bass in his hand. He told me, he said, Dad, it was a miracle. I'm not sure it was a miracle, but it was an unusual happening. <laughs> he said that when he went in the water, his hand just went in the fish's mouth. You know, and, and there it was. And he just pulled it out, and he's got it mounted now, you know, in his apartment in, in Auburn. It's a surprise catch, you know, and, and sometimes the surprise catches are, are exciting. But here's the thing. You have to be prepared for the catch, or you'll lose it have to be prepared for the catch or you'll lose it. Remember the story of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 5. Jesus takes the disciples out to fish. And, uh, you know, they'd been fishing the day before. They hadn't caught anything. They'd fished all night, which was the prime time to fish. Now it's in the middle of the day, which was not the prime time to fish. And Jesus says, let's go fishing. And Peter kind of argues with him and says, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch a thing. Jesus says, oh, come on, let's go. And, and Peter says, well, we'll go because you say to. And you can almost hear it in his voice, you know, as you read the words. We'll go because you say to, but we ain't catching any fish. There's just not, you know, it's, we've tried. We fished at the best time, didn't catch any. We're certainly not going to catch any fish at the worst time. But they go anyway, not expecting anything. They throw their nets out. They pull them in. They catch so many fish that the nets break and the boats start to sink. And here's the thing that we learn from that. Prepare for success, or it will ruin you when it comes. Prepare for success, or it will ruin you when it comes. Now, understand, there's a difference between preparing to succeed and preparing for success. Tiger Woods prepared to succeed, but he didn't prepare for success, and it ruined him. Hopefully he can recover. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. There's a difference between preparing to succeed and preparing for success. If we want to be a net that God can use to catch fish in our community, there are certain things that we need to do in order to prepare, or else our nets will break and we'll lose our catch. Now, there are a couple of different kinds of, of nets that were used uh, back in Jesus' day uh, when it came to fishing. Uh, turn with me, if you want to, to Habakkuk. It's not, uh, I told the earlier crowd, it's not my favorite book of the Bible, but it's my favorite one to say. Uh, you can say Habakkuk. You can, you can say Habakkuk. Uh, there are just so many different options. 
while you're looking for uh, Habakkuk, I'll tell you that uh, my first class in seminary was Old Testament survey. And uh, we went in, and uh, Lawson Stone was my professor at Asbury Seminary. And he walked in, and he said, open your Bibles to Hezekiah chapter 3. And we all, everybody in the class was scrambling for Bibles, and we were looking just as fast as we can, just as furiously as we can through the Old Testament for Hezekiah chapter 3, because, you know, none of us wants to be the last one to find it. And he stands there, and, and for a long, painful amount of time, he allows us to search. And then he says, you can stop looking. There's no Hezekiah in the Old Testament, and that shows how much you know. <laughs> now turn to Genesis. And... Uh, we looked at Genesis that day, and he said, now go home, and tonight I want you to read the entire book of Genesis and outline it and bring it back for class tomorrow. And I thought, well, wow, that's a lot to do, but I think we can do that. I think I can handle that. And then I go to my next class, which was Matthew, and the New Testament professor says, now tonight I want you to go home and read the book of Matthew and outline it and bring it back for tomorrow. And uh, then a year later, I transferred to Emory, and they said, you don't really even need the Bible. Um, okay. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 14. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? The enemy has a net, and it's not a little you know, net like you hold in your hand and dip into the tank to get the goldfish out. He, he has a dragnet that he wants to sweep across this community because he wants to, to steal as many fish as he can. Now, in Jesus' day, there were a couple of types of nets that were used for fishing. One was called a casting net. Um, people still use casting nets today. Maybe some of you have used casting nets. Uh, I've never used one, but I've seen one used. Uh, a friend of mine took me fishing down at St. Simon's, and he had a casting net that he used to catch bait fish for us to use the rest of the day. And what you do with a casting net, it, it's operated by one person. You kind of stand on a, on a dock or on a boat. You look out into the water, and you see where fish are moving where there's activity and you take this net that has lead weights around the edge of it and a, and a drawstring or a draw rope on it and you throw it out over and it lands on the fish. The weights cause it to sink down over the fish and then you pull the rope too which closes the net around the fish and then you drag them in. So a casting net is a great, great tool, great thing to have. Uh, a lot of churches operate like casting nets. They're focused on a small area. They're focused on a small group of people, a particular group of people, and that's okay. Uh, a lot of people within churches operate like casting nets. You know, you come and, and you listen and you hear pre good preaching or you, you're involved in a Bible study. You're learning about the Lord. You're allowing, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to work in your life and to, to sharpen your gifts, and then you go out into your place, your zone, your area of influence, and you look to catch the fish in your little area. And, and that's okay, too. But I really believe that the most effective way that we can operate as the people of God is as a drag net rather than as a casting net. 
It's okay to be a casting net from time to time, but we need to also see ourselves as a dragnet. Men and women whose lives are connected to each other. Like I said earlier, uh, a net uh, is formed by taking these uh, materials that cross each other and in the places where they cross, you twist them and you knot them together. Now, how many of you would say, if I said to you today, okay, we're going to today, our, our goal is to put you in groups of six or eight or ten people, and then we want to knot you and twist you and stretch you together. Does that sound like an exciting thing to you? doesn't sound like an exciting thing to me either, but it is a necessary thing. It is a necessary thing. A dragnet is used by a team of people. One person can't operate a dragnet. Team of people stretch across this net, they throw it down into an area, a larger area than you can cover with a casting net, and then they drag it together. And they can literally sweep an area. And that's what I believe God is calling us to. I think God is calling Stonebridge to be a dragnet. I believe that God is calling Riverstone to be a dragnet. I believe that God is calling Vintage to be a dragnet. And then I think God is calling us together to be an even larger dragnet in this community. Now, there are some things, though, that you need to understand uh, about nets before you choose to be a part of a dragnet. The first thing you have to know about nets is that nets have to be made. Nets have to be made. Uh, just because you have a group of people doesn't mean you have a net. Uh, just because you have a body of people doesn't mean that they have been weaved together and knotted together. We have to be made into a net. And sometimes it's a difficult process. Sometimes it's a painful process. But we have to be willing to embrace that process because the truth is we are better together than we are alone. God didn't intend for any of us to live our lives alone by ourselves. If you read through the Gospels, you read through all of Scripture, pretty much, you'll see a few verses that talk about you and God. You'll, you'll see that most of the Bible is about us and God. Because God is about community. And he wants us as a, as a community, as a body of Christ, to function together, to work together, to operate together, to live together. That's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because God is about connection. He is about relationship. He is about us living life together. If you're going to be a net, you have to be made into a net. It doesn't just automatically happen. There's a process that you have to embrace, and that process begins with a commitment to a person. It begins with a commitment to a person, and that person is Jesus himself. It begins, it has, the foundation has to be a commitment to a person. You, you know, you can be a, involved in a lot of groups. You can be involved in a lot of different groups. You can, you can join a country club. You can join, you know, this club or that club or, you know, have a supper club, a breakfast club, or a birthday club, whatever. You can have all sorts of clubs and groups that involve, you know, being connected with people. They're not the same. They don't have the same function. They don't have the same DNA that a church is supposed to have. A church is not just about people connected to each other. 
A church begins on that foundational level with a group of people who are committed to a person. Before you know even who the people are, before you've had a chance even to develop a relationship with the people, before you even know what your purpose is as a group, you need to be committed to a person, to the person of Christ. That's where it starts. Uh, from that commitment to a pers- the person, then you can grow into a, a commitment to the people. And as you grow in your commitment to the people of Stonebridge, you will see the purpose of Stonebridge beginning to emerge and come, becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. And then you, you can focus and be committed to a purpose as well. But if you're so focused on the purpose that you forget the person, you'll miss it. And if you're so focused on the purpose that you forget about the people, then you'll just wind up leaving a lot of folks in your wake. You may go a lot of places, you may accomplish a lot of things, but you'll lose a lot of friends. And so God is calling us, first, be committed to a person. Second, be committed to a people. And third, be committed to a purpose. So a net has to be made. The truth is, none of us in this room is capable by ourselves of being of much effect or use or impact in the kingdom of God. But together, we can do a lot. Together, surrendered to him, we can accomplish great things, things that are beyond your wildest dreams. The second thing you need to know about a net is that it needs to be mended. A net has to be made, and then after it's used, it needs to be mended. When the disciples would go out and they would fish, at the end of a, end of a day of fishing, they bring the nets in, they spread them out on the beach, they get around it, and they pull it in every direction to see if they can break it. And here's the reason they do that. You'd rather, you know, if the net's going to break, you want it to break on the beach, not in the sea. Because when the net breaks in the sea, you lose fish. When the, when the net breaks on the beach, you don't lose anything. In fact, you gain. When the net breaks on the beach, you gain because you have the opportunity then to retie the knots, twist them together tighter, pull them harder, stretch them further, make them stronger. We have to be willing to enter into that process as people. Now, you can keep your life a secret. You can keep your life a secret, and if you choose to do that, you may be the reason Stonebridge loses fish. Or you can enter into relationship with people that you trust. You can get into a small group of people that you know care about you and that you care about, and you can open up your life and you can say, here I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, we we have a, a saying in our home, my wife and I, you can... Confess your stuff. You can have your your stuff, your issues exposed in a small group of people that you trust, or you can have your issues exposed in the Marietta Daily Journal. Which one do you want? Because I promise you, if you choose to keep your life a secret, and especially to keep your weaknesses and your struggles a secret, and you try to carry them, by yourself, 
eventually your life's going to break down and there's a chance you'll make the news. But God calls us to enter into relationship with each other. You know, I'd much rather sit down in a group of eight of my closest friends and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Would you all pray for me? Then have it show up as a headline. Guess what? Tom was struggling with this. He didn't get any help, and now it's exploding. Uh, I knew a guy several years ago. He wrote a book. He was a pastor, and he wrote a book about small groups. And he said in his book, in, in, the, in the forward, the introduction to the book, he said, I don't like small groups. I don't like to be in small groups. I don't like to lead small groups. I don't like to follow in small groups. I, don't, I just don't like small groups. I don't like people in my stuff. I don't want to get in people's stuff. I just like to be by myself. I like to stand up in front of the congregation and preach, but I don't like getting in a small group, you know, where people ask you questions. And I understood everything he was saying. I also was not surprised five years later when he was being interviewed on 2020 because he had fallen, uh, or actually it had become public knowledge that he had been in an ongoing uh, relationship had been addicted to drugs and all sorts of other issues in his life that he had kept hidden. No wonder he didn't like small groups. He had a lot to hide. You can hide your stuff if you choose to. But eventually, things come out. Um, we used to say, if you have a dragon in your life, you can hide it in the closet. But eventually, it will come out. And it will probably come out at a very inopportune time. The enemy wants to minimize your influence. He wants to reduce your influence for the kingdom and in the community. And he will use whatever he can find to do that. If we want to be a net, the kind of net that catches and keeps fish, we have to be willing to enter into real, genuine, authentic, transparent, sometimes painful relationships with other people so that God can twist us and knot us together because we're supposed to live life together, not alone. There are people in this room who are carrying things right now that are just about to take you out of the game. They're heavy. You can't handle the burden. You feel like, I don't know if I can make it one more day carrying this load. And, and the problem is not the load. The problem is the number of people carrying it. God didn't intend for us to live life alone, but to share our burdens ultimately with him, but also with each other. A net has to be mended. You've got to be willing to stretch it and pull it to see where the weaknesses are. Don't, don't you want to know what your weaknesses are? Do you want to know early enough to fix them and strengthen them and, and make your life stronger? Or do you want to find out where your weaknesses are purely by accident? Out in the ocean with a net full of fish and all of a sudden you see that they're just going out. They're going through because there's a break in your net. Some of you probably have had experiences where you've been a part of a group where a leader falls. You know, most of the people that leave church, most people who leave church in our day and time, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with God. 
It has to do with other people. People leave church because of what they see in other people. Uh, breaks in the net. Moral failures in leadership. People who say one thing and do another. A lack of integrity. Just dishonesty. That's, that's what causes people to leave the church. It doesn't really have anything to do with God. It has to do with us. And so if we want to be the kind of net that can hold fish, we need to choose to enter into a relationship, be twisted and knotted together, let our, our secrets out so that we can strengthen each other. And the third thing that has to happen with a net is a net has to be made, a net has to be mended, and a net has to be washed. Uh, a net has to be washed because the truth is we've all got junk on us. And just through the course of everyday life, you get stuff on you. When you pull the nets in after a day of fishing, not only do you stretch it and mend it, but you wash it. You, you spray it down really good just to knock the stu stuff off of it. Uh, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5 that we are washed by rebirth and by generous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We are washed and made clean through rebirth and through generous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say to you, to remain clean, to keep your life free of debris and all the junk that weakens the net, choose, choose to be washed through rebirth and through generous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say two things that are of incredible monumental importance for us as the body of Christ. Number one, you need to live your life daily based on truth. Based on truth. If you begin, if, if you begin to believe the lies of the enemy, it will take you out of the game. And there will be breaks in your net caused by fear, caused by insecurity, caused by arrogance and pride, all sorts of things. If you base your life on the truth of God's word and all of the things that he says about you and all of the things that he says about himself, then you'll have a firm place to stand. Also, we need daily, daily encounters with those generous outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit, no matter how scary he may be. Don't be afraid of him. Invite him into your life to wash, to purify, to cleanse, to empower. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you think about this, if you stop and just think about the fact that the God that we serve is real. He's real. He's alive. He's, he's here in this place right now. And we have an opportunity to encounter the very presence of the living God. There is no other religion or faith that can do that. We have opportunity to encounter the presence of the living God. To have our lives washed over daily by Him. We had a guy several years ago come speak at our church named Jack Taylor. And Jack said, when God begins to move in your church or in your fellowship, when God begins to move and things begin to happen, 
If you'd rather observe it than participate in it, you might be a Pharisee. If you'd rather critique it than participate in it, you might be a Pharisee. I want to encourage you. Look for where God is moving and step into the middle of it. Don't stand off to the side with your pencil and your paper, you know, taking notes to make sure everybody's doing everything right. Don't be the hall monitor for the Holy Spirit. But step in to what God is doing and allow Him to move. Now, you can step back, and that's no guarantee, really, a lot of times. When you step back, it's no guarantee that, that God won't ambush you. Sometimes He'll sneak up on you, even when you step back. I, I went one time to a, a place where I had heard that the Lord was really moving powerfully, and I, I went just to see what was going on. And I, I went by myself. I, got, I bought a plane ticket, and I flew by myself. And to this place, I didn't take anyone with me because I, you know, if God did something really weird and goofy to me, I didn't want any witnesses. And so I flew in secret. I took my journal. I observed for three days. I took notes. I got on the plane. I flew back to Athens. And I got in my car. The last thing I wrote in my journal before I got off the plane was, I'm glad I went. And I really believe God is doing something there. I'm just a little disappointed that he didn't do anything to me. Even though I had avoided <laughs> all week, all weekend long. Well, get in the car, I drive back to Athens, I pick my wife up. Our kids were going to a birthday party, and I said, let's run to Mexicali Grill, we'll get some nachos, and I'll tell you about my trip. And so we sit down at the table, they bring our nachos, and, and I take my wife's hand, and I, and I start to pray a blessing. And the minute I start to pray, I just lose it. My whole body starts to shake. I start to cry, to weep right there in the Mexicali Grill. And, you know, the waitress comes over, did you not want cheese? You know, I, I had to look at my wife and say, but I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sorry. I finally get myself together. We go to church the next day. That was a Saturday night. We go to church the next day. And I'm sitting in a Sunday school class. Our Sunday school teacher comes in, opens the Bible, and starts reading the first chapter of Ezekiel, harmless, the minute he starts to read scripture, I just start to weep. And it's not a, it's not a pretty cry. You know, there's a pretty cry, a little dainty cry. This was not. This was ugly cry. You know, I, it, it had, there were fluids involved. They weren't all coming from my eyes. My body was shaking. And, and, and I had to go up and just tell the teacher at the end of the class, I'm sorry. I was so disruptive. I don't know what's wrong with me. I go into worship that day, and the pastor stands up to do the pastoral prayer. You know, I mean, what could be more harmless? In the pastoral prayer, you know, God, thank you for today. We're glad everyone's here. Amen. You know, he starts to pray this pastoral prayer, and all of a sudden, boom, God just, the presence of God hits me again. I just start just weeping, and I'm, 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 my whole body's shaking. You know, I, to this day, I haven't, I haven't got it figured out. I, I don't know what happened to me that weekend, but I, I know this. I've never been the same. I've never been the same. I would encourage you to step into what God is doing voluntarily. I would warn you that if you get too close, you may get sucked in whether you want it or not. But God has exciting things that he wants to do. He wants to pour himself out generously. 
Satan wants to diminish your influence in this community. There are two things you can do, I believe, to keep that from happening. One is to expose yourself to generous outpourings of the Holy Spirit, and, and two, not and twist your life into the lives of others so that you become the kind of net that keeps fish. I believe that's what God wants for us, and I believe that's what we should go after. All right, let's pray. Lord, I know that uh, in a room like this, there are, there are people here who are struggling for one reason or another, carrying things that are way too heavy for one person or, or even for one family to carry. And so I, I'm, I pray today that you would give them courage to move forward in faith. I pray that you would give them grace, the grace to, uh, to let go of some things and allow some brothers and sisters in Christ to step in and share the load. I'm going to ask you today as we uh, get ready to go into a time of ministry, if, if you are dealing with something today, there's something in your life right now that, that you would say, I, I can't do this by myself. I can't handle this. It's too heavy. Uh, it could be a work thing or could be a home thing. could be a God thing. Whatever it is, you're at a point where you know you're just, you would say today, hey, you know what? I need help. I need help. If that's you, I want to ask you just to be brave right now and stand up where you are.